2: Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's Politics Podcast, the Money is Cooler Than Menthol edition. It's Friday, June 5th, and I am your host, Sarah O'Donnell. I am back. I wasn't sure last week if I would be back for future episodes, but I'll be here for at least this week as I make the uh, move into the job of journal sports editor. So before I pass the press gallery hosting baton, I want to anchor one final leg of a press gallery relay with my three favorite...
0: Can I say favorite? Yeah, because Graham's not here today, so we can be your
2: favorites, sure. (laughs) With three, three of my favorite journal teammates, you're all my favorites, every single one of you. In the newsroom studio today, I'm joined by legislature reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. And senior political correspondent Sheila Pratt. Hello. And city columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. We've got a real grab bag of topics today, so we'll just jump right into them. We will start with the fact that now that the province's MLAs have been sworn in, the new NDP government is getting right down to business. Sheila, on Sunday, Health Minister Sarah Hoffman made a major announcement about the future of cigarettes and the province. What exactly did she do?
1: Yes, it was the first big policy indication. Well, on one level, she's carrying out promises and and distinguishing herself from the Tories. A year ago, the government had promised to ban all flavored tobacco uh, as an attempt to stop youth smoking. That, uh, After lobbying from the tobacco industry, they decided to exempt menthol, partly on the reasoning that older people also use menthol. It's been around for many, many years. And the NDP at the time vigorously opposed that. So at this first opportunity, um, as the flavor ban was going into effect on Monday, Sarah Hoffman took this first opportunity to declare uh, they would actually put into effect what they criticized before.
2: Okay, so are menthol cigarettes gone now from the shelves in Alberta?
1: They've got, uh, stores have until the end of September to sell off their current inventory. And then that's the end of menthol. It's the end of all flavored uh, tobacco. Huh. At least legally on store shelves. Legally on store shelves. And let's note, note, we're not, other provinces have since done this. Nova Scotia was first. Ontario and BC are also looking at it.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, Paula, what did you make of the NDP doing this so quickly after taking office?
0: Well, you know, it's one of those sort of low-hanging fruit things that they can go after quickly. And as Sheila said... In some ways, their hand was forced by the fact that the ban on other flavored tobaccos, you know, the bubblegum-flavored chewing tobacco and all of that stuff. Is there bubblegum-flavored chewing tobacco? I just Probably. made that up. But, you know... There's cherry. There, yeah, so... <laughs> it's a
3: flavor I've heard about, so... Yeah, so
0: so all of these other flavored tobaccos were coming off the shelf June 1st, so this gave them a chance to be in alignment. You know, the health minister is going to have lots and lots and lots of really complex systems things to do. This was an easy issue to come out, to look decisive, to look forceful um, very little political cost you would think.
2: Yeah, even though I guess the convenience store associations certainly haven't been happy yeah, about this and, move. And
0: lots of seniors, I mean Sheila's right, I mean these other, the, you know, the other flavored tobaccos were very clearly being marketed at kids. There's a lot less evidence that menthol is a gateway tobacco for teenagers as opposed to something that people in their 60s and 70s are still smoking. I mean, all cigarettes are unhealthy for you. I don't know that it's logical to pick out menthol in particular, but I think in the Venn diagram of people who vote NDP and the people who are 70 and smoke menthol cigarettes, there may not be so very much overlap. (laughs) I just
1: need to add a scientific note, however, to that, that the Chief Medical Officer of Health told me. The thing about menthol is it acts as an anesthetic, so kids inhale, people inhale more because it's... uh, It doesn't hurt when you inhale and they say that it's the danger that increases addiction, does more damage to the lungs. So there is a little little scientific reasoning behind this. It's going
3: to be really interesting to see how the NDP handles all of these sorts of policies that they were really forceful on when they were in opposition because you know just a year ago I don't think anybody in the NDP anticipated forming government and they were very vocal and 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 as uh, Sheila said vigorous not on just this issue but on a whole lot of issues and on many of them they're they're now going to have to be making the decisions and when you're in power it's harder to make some of those decisions when you have pressure from from all different sides so I'm gonna be watching to see how they manage um, some of these sorts of policy decisions that they have to begin making in in the you know in the next six months to a year because you know in a lot of ways their hands are sort of forced and it will look it'll look sort of disingenuous if they if they stray from positions they held when they were in opposition. And the other, I think that's a really
1: good point. The other thing is, of course, they haven't been there long enough to be lobbied by many people. Whereas the Tories have been lobbied and funded and whatever well, by convenience stores, are, tobacco companies. That hasn't
3: of, happened. They're yet. sort of trying to figure out how to go about <laughs> yes. lobbying and, and how to make those connections because this is like a, a yeah. whole a whole new landscape. Now for them, yeah,
2: it absolutely is, and there certainly was reaction to Hoffman's announcement on Sunday, and some of it wasn't very cool. It certainly uh, seemed to get personal and actually and, and heated. Can you, Miriam, just go over briefly what Progressive Conservative Vice President Jordan Lean had to say about Hoffman and her menthol ban?
3: Yeah, he came out of the gate right away and sort of criticized the move um, and uh, did it uh, in a way that called into um, sort of question her, her, her weight and whether or not she should be sort of making these sorts of decisions based on her weight and suggesting that we should uh, look to ban sweets and soda and that sort of thing. Uh, and that was roundly criticized um, by people immediately as being, um, you know, sexist and body shaming and totally unfair. It has nothing to do with whether someone is capable of managing a portfolio um, and so you know he was pretty roundly criticized and including by the interim leader of the PC party Rick McIver
2: yeah well so what did you make of this very kind of personal comment and and what did you think also about the reaction it got I mean some vice president of a party board I mean really does it does what he say matters well I think it does because it's part of the larger narrative I mean the 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 incredibly
0: vicious comments about Sarah Hoffman's uh, body shape began within minutes of her being sworn in as health minister a couple of weeks ago. And it was mostly coming from the usual suspect trolls who basically said she's fat, she can't be health minister. But that's from trolls. This guy we're talking about is the vice president of the board of the Progressive Conservative Party. And he referred to Sarah Hoffman as morbidly obese and mocked her and said maybe she should be banning, you know, junk food or taxing, taxing pop instead. And I think it's part of a a larger kind of a really vicious sexist bullying uh, language that is being used to attack certain members of the NDP, which I think is, is really quite unprecedented in Alberta politics it's always been fair game to criticize politicians, but this kind of fifth grade bully tactic, this kind of pile on, and I think in a perverse way, Sarah Hoffman ought to be flattered because she's really smart. I think she's going to do interesting things with the portfolio and people aren't attacking her policies. People aren't attacking her competence. So they're reduced to the lowest kind of schoolyard uh, name calling that, you know, uh, actually it's an insult to fifth graders to say it's fifth grade behavior. (laughs) And and isn't it because
1: maybe now the Tories are, so far down like we're we're talking single digit tories in the legislature here she didn't so respond at she, all was no, that, that the was right? right was, was that the right was was that tactic that, yeah. she just didn't it's comment on the right it. tactic yeah and yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. what's she supposed to do look you know look, look hurt like you know when the when the mean oh no you know yeah. i mean when Anne shirley cracked gilbert Blythe's head with the slate for calling her carrots, that is the level of
2: political discourse to which the Conservative Party has sunk. So moving back to other public policy analysis, the, let's move to a different topic, minimum wage. The NDP as part of their platform talked about raising the minimum wage in Alberta to $15 an hour by 2018, and late last week new Labour Minister Lori Sigurdsson said the minimum wage rate could start to rise as early as this October. And this week, of course, reaction still pouring in. Uh, Sheila, how's the
1: business community reacting to this news? Well, I find it very interesting. There's mixed reaction. There's, of course, a lot of um, expected outrage from employers will have to lay people off. There's also a lot of employers saying, I can't hire anybody for less than $16 an hour anyway. Uh, so raising it to 15 wouldn't make a big difference and also I find that employee retention is way better when we're playing There have been businesses in the Chamber of Commerce website here and in stories out of Calgary too And I think the chambers are going to have there will have to be some consultation big discussion with them And I also think the, the other thing that's not mentioned so far in it, But the whole years of t- temporary foreign workers have kept wages lower And I'm wondering if that's also part of a issue for some of the employers they're used to pretty uh, you know keeping a, a workforce going, especially in fast food at a pretty low wage level. And so what's the
2: reaction been at the legislature, Miriam, from opposition parties to this plan that the NDP this is one of those again one of those promises yep. that they're going to have to to live by how have the Wild
3: Rose and other uh, opposition parties been reacting well most of the the reaction is coming from the parties that are to the right of the NDP and so as expected which would be all of them yeah I mean well I mean yeah yes uh, sorry I mean sort of ones that don't occupy the sort of center well the Alberta party like they're section, not we don't uh, where are they well oh, we don't know that depending is depending on problem. the issue yeah. they're on all parts of the spectrum yes um but uh, certainly there has been a lot of criticism from from the parties on the right. And as Sheila said, a lot of them are talking about the fact that, you know, this is, this is a tough economy and that this is going to hurt jobs and that employers are going to be uh, laying people off, not able to hire as many people, that sort of thing. I think this is one of those kinds of issues that we're actually going to see uh, a party like the PC's able to sort of hold on to if they're smart about it because it's not something that they had their hands in you know not not an issue that they had their hands in you know either drafting a policy about or that sort of thing and so I think it'll be interesting because this will be one of those sorts of early issues obviously that the government is moving on going into consultations now before we begin to see maybe incremental increases. And I think that this is something that um, if the NDP isn't careful, the Wild Rose and the PCs could really use as sort of something to attack. Mm. Paula, winning issue or a big gamble for the NDP?
0: I think in this economy, I mean, Sheila makes an excellent point. Uh, You can't hire a babysitter for under $15 an hour. I mean, I I thought it was very interesting. Our colleague Dan Barnes did an analysis of minimum wage economics in Alberta, which showed that only 1.5% of Albertans actually earned minimum wage, and they're mostly girls between 15 and 19 who haven't finished high school. Minimum wage is primarily being paid to, you know, high school students who are working in the service economy. That said, if... If we agree that kind of the functional minimum wage in our economy is already fifteen dollars, if you raise the official minimum wage to fifteen, then the people who are earning fifteen are going to want to earn eighteen, and the people who are earning eighteen are going to want to earn twenty, and so there is absolutely going to be inflationary pressure. And it's not just going to affect small business; it's going to affect the not-for-profit sector, uh, the healthcare sector. There are all kinds of places now that pay sort of a starting wage of $15 an hour that are going to have to up the ante. And so I I think, as Miriam says, this is one of those things that's a lot easier to promise when you don't think you're ever going to form government. And then you do. And this was part of your platform. And so it's a gamble if they step away from it. But I think it is a huge gamble if they push ahead, especially without easing it in gently. What we used to remember
3: is that there's, in Alberta, a, two, a two-tier minimum wage. So that, uh, you know, and that's obviously part of the sort of review and consultation process that's going on. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. What do you if, mean by that two-tier oh, minimum wage? Uh, so people who work in the service industry can be paid $1 less. Oh, than Oh, the in the, minim- the food service so, industry. In, yes, sorry, in they the they food get service, yes. Yeah. Uh, And and that's sort of in theory. In uh, theory, In theory, and that's sort of the justification for it. And it's been it it gets a lot of criticism because it affects obviously certain segments of of workers disproportionately. And we know that uh, a lot of the people who work in the food service industry and who are earning tips are women, um, and and so that sort of thing. So it does get a lot of criticism. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some movement there, um, you know, to sort of streamline it as a as a first step potentially. Oh, I
1: think it is going to be a tricky issue for them. But if you phase it in. Um, It's not like you're saying go to $15 an hour by December 2015. Phase it in, then you're not going to have as big an inflationary pressure all of a sudden. And also, I think they're going to have to really um, work at the narrative around this. I mean, I see the chamber trying to frame it as a poverty reduction strategy. Well, actually, I don't think that's exactly. It's also to uh, reduce the growing inequality and wage gap. So they're going to have to, I think the NDP is going to have to work hard at how they're going to sell this. Um, and not to get bogged down in some of what the business groups are going to argue to oppose it.
3: This is going to be a political battle, and a lot of these sorts of new policies that this government wants to bring in are going to be uh, political battles. Yeah, but behind, drop down, yeah, yeah, yeah. drag them out Yeah. But this,
0: but this is also going to have a, a huge impact on the NDP base. There are lots of people who voted NDP who are also going to be really squeezed by this, and I'm thinking you know, of the not-for-profit sector, where... You know, unless there's going to be a commensurate increase in funding to them, they can't pay those wages with the monies that they have now. And so there are going to be lots of ripple effects from this, and I think the NDP are going to have to work some of this through, and it's not going to be as painless as it was when you were just drafting policy
2: that you never thought was going to come into effect. Absolutely. Well, this one's going to be interesting to watch, and as some Albertans are struggling to get by on minimum wage, which looks like it will be gradually going up as promised, Alberta party leader Greg Clark drew attention this week, to a contrast of uh, the pretty generous living allowances of out of town MLAs to compensate them for their time in Edmonton. Mariam, can you give us some basics first? How much do MLAs get
3: exactly, and, and what is it for? So, MLAs who live at least 60 kilometers away from the provincial legislature building are afforded a housing allowance um, of uh, $1,930 per month. And, you know, that's so you can find a place to live in the in the provincial capital in Edmonton when you're here working um, as an MLA on on business that's on top of a per diem that they would get as well about fifty dollars for meals um, and that sort of an incidentals, that sort of thing and they're also reimbursed for kilometers as well um, so there's all sorts of sort of benefits that they get if they have to travel to the provincial capital for work uh, and Greg Clark is saying you know, whoa! Now that I am an MLA and I can see the inside of this place and and everything that we we get, um, this is too much. And so this is what he's sort of taken up his, as his hmm. first uh, issue. And he, and he's as an a MLA. he's a Calgary MLA.
2: I mean, so he would yep. have to travel. This would this is something that would affect him. So how did his suggestions go over with his uh, colleagues at the legislature?
3: Well, you know, people are sort of of two minds of it. On the one hand, they say, well, you know. Nineteen hundred dollars isn't just for for rent each month. It's for rent and for any s- bills that you have to pay. It's you're you're running a second household, right? You know, groceries, gas, money, utilities, uh, also gas money. I think you can actually get reimbursed. For. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, separate. like cable, you know. All, all that kind of thing. Although they actually get reimbursed for a second telephone for their homes too. Actually, now that I'm like listing all these things, I'm like, oh wait, that gets Ow. reimbursed too. um But you know, there was that argument. You have to buy furniture if it's not furnished. Sure, sort of sure. Thing. So all this is happening against the backdrop
2: of the d- federal the trial, the Mike Duffy trial. So Paula, I mean, this, <laughs> this audit of Senate expenses. Sure, let's make this leap. Let's, <laughs> let's move into federal <laughs> politics. Do you think his that? kind of backdrop, Paula, will influence public reaction to Clark's comments?
0: Well, I think if Clark is clever, it will, because, you know, Just this week, we had yet more schmutz coming out of the Senate. You know, what, nine senators now, Mm -hmm. maybe more, are going to have their expenses referred to the RCMP for investigation. Very senior members of the Senate are being asked to to step aside from their positions because of this. So I think there is a heightened sensitivity around the issue of expense accounts, and especially, you know, in the Duffy case for the, you know, the, the, the second House account. You know, Clark made a really interesting point, too, which I hadn't thought about, because you know, nineteen hundred dollars a month. Maybe that's not unreasonable. But as Clark pointed out, you get that money whether you spend yeah. it or not. Right. So and that he, was really so, his point. So his point was, you know, if you're if you're frugal and you know, and you share with two other MLAs, and which you, many of them do, you know, then you can
3: pocket. Yeah, we know that two Calgary MLAs were rooming together in a hmm. uh, Yeah. At the last session, you
0: know. So if if you can pocket the money and you don't have to show receipts for it, um, you know, it, is that trans? parent or you know should somebody who lives you know way far away from the city get more money than somebody who lives you know exactly 60 kilometers away
1: and hmm. why do you get 50 bucks for meals if you have your own apartment
3: yeah. i don't
2: know i don't That's know why, why why do you need why do you then well need it to sounds go to restaurants like it sounds like night. all of this
0: will be there's, there's lots of there's, yeah. yes i lot. actually think well greg, and this is he,
3: really interesting because all of this is set by the member services committee greg Clark is a caucus of one there's no there's no he said he was going to bring forward a motion that would say you know uh, let's change this instead of a lump sum monthly payment that you get for this let's have it so that you know you submit your expenses and then you get reimbursed like all the other expense processes that the the LAO has the legislative assembly has in place Um, you know the problem is you can only bring that motion forward to that committee and if Greg Clark doesn't get a seat on that committee and even if he does he'd be one vote he's yes he's he's, right he's 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 close
1: cleverly found an issue to yeah. get him some attention when he's trying to distinguish himself from the Tories still. Mm-hmm. But so you got, I mean, something like this can be a little bit of a runaway issue too, if if um, if he's clever with it. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And and do we think that overall, that with the NDP and the Wild Rose kind of dominating government together, that there might actually be something in the future about MLA compensation or all
3: compensation? Or is that zeal going to fade as they... You know potentially It depends benefit. on how much of an issue I think the Wild Rose wants to make of it you know and it, it it'll it'll be interesting to see what how the NDP works with with the official opposition on issues like this. We already know that they agree, for example, to remove union and corporate donations um, from the sort of political process. Maybe this could be one of those issues as well because when they were on the opposition benches, this was something that got a lot of attention from uh, NDP MLAs like Brian Mason and David Egan.
0: Yeah, but but this comes back to Miriam's point earlier. It's really easy (laughs) to complain about these things when you're not in power. When you're in power and you have the perks of power for you, it's a lot harder to give them up. But oh, but, th- but but you're right, Sarah. I mean, there is both the NDP and the Wild Rose have positioned themselves as populist parties who speak for the people and who are against the fat cats. And so in theory, this would be a perfect time for the government and the official opposition to unite and... and, and you know, rollback compensation for senior positions in government and, and for MLA uh, allowances. Whether that zeal, as you say, will burn as hotly now that that's their perks, I don't know. It's a lot easier to complain when it's the other guy. Yeah. Do you oh, think... We
1: don't have any indication that they're not going to bring that forward. I don't have any indication that the NDP is suddenly turning into the fat cat. So I, I don't know what they'll do, and I think I think uh, Miriam's point is great. They're going to look for some common ground with the Wild Rose to keep that the heat down between them, and that's certainly one where they do agree.
2: Okay. Now, before I pull the ripcord on my own politics podcast parachute, <laughs> let's move to good stuff from the gallery. That's the spot where we recommend something good to read or watch or listen to, usually of a political nature. I will start because I'm going to recommend a series of items that crosses into the world of sport and into politics. I'm going to recommend a couple of pieces from the New York Times that I will post the links to about the FIFA corruption investigations that have absolutely blown up in the soccer world. It's a fascinating time. There's just so much and it's so interesting to see how the worlds of sport and politics intersect and how these briefcases of money were influencing yeah. government <laughs> items. Yeah. And it just, it gets better and better Sports, and more politics, interesting. politics, and organized crime. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend those pieces.
3: Maryam. My piece was in the New York Times yesterday, I think, or Tuesday. On days Thursday, ago. earlier um, this week. Okay. Yeah, earlier this week anyway. It was in the New York Times. It's an op ed by Mohammed Fahmy, who people will remember is a Canadian journalist who was imprisoned in Cairo. His retrial is starting uh has started again this week and he wrote a scathing op-ed that appeared in the New York Times. It's called How Qatar Used and Abused Its Al Jazeera Journalists. And basically he says that the Al Jazeera Arabic um, executives um, antagonized the Egyptian authorities during a sort of uh, a blackout that had been um, instituted in in Egypt and, and basically put their Al Jazeera English journalists who were working there in danger um, and, and says that he uh, made it a lot more difficult to argue his case at trial. And so and it was really scathing and, and quite something to read. So I would uh, recommend
1: that. Fantastic! Put up those links, Sheila Prash. Well, I'm doing a little look at Alberta history, and with the um, involving the Vagerville Observer, one of the feisty weeklies. It's more than 100, 106, 109 years old now, and sadly had its last days last week. Oh. Um, but in in it, I th- I found it came across a book on the Ku Klux Klan in central Alberta, and it was a big fight. Um, a couple of the weeklies, from, one from Lacombe and the Vagerville Observer, were kind of came into national prominence as as uh, two uh, organization, uh, newspapers f- vehemently fighting against the Klan that was actually making big inroads and burning crosses in central Alberta so really? I'm gonna get the name of that book for you
2: okay fantastic no. we will uh, we will put the name of that book, book. up on, our, yes, on <laughs> our links with the story and Paula do you also have something that we will give them the exact links for uh, on our website
0: yes I, I want to recommend something that comes from a newspaper whose name I will not speak today <laughs> Oh, uh, Toronto's national newspaper the Mope and Whale, uh, but despite despite the other things that are in the Globe and <laughs> Mail this week, this 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 one I'm going to recommend is actually good uh, by Adam Rowansky. It's a it's a really fascinating profile of Jenny Byrne, who is the pr- Prime Minister Stephen Harper's uh, one of his closest advisors and will be running the Conservative uh, campaign in the next federal election, and who does not give interviews is somebody whose name is probably not well known outside of Ottawa, but is hugely powerful and hugely influential within the Conservative Party and who is a a really fascinating character, not the usual kind of political backroom boy you would hear about. And so I would highly recommend that piece, even though it pains me to have a link to that newspaper. Where it's Ka- okay. where Cathal Kelly said mean things about Edmonton.
2: Uh. <laughs> Sports brings out the worst in people sometimes, Apparently doesn't it? It does. Hopefully, also brings out the best in people. So that is it for this week's episode of the Press Gallery. Thanks to Journal Videographer Ryan Jackson, who's been recording a video excerpt of today's discussion for the Edmonton Journal's website. You can find this episode and an archive of past editions on EdmontonJournal.com/opinion. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, cloud itunes and TuneIn radio subscribe and a fresh edition will be delivered as soon as we get it wrapped up each week and as i sign off what i think okay i really do think this is going to be my last episode as host i think we're going to be able to introduce the new press gallery host next week i want to thank all of our regular contributors including paula sheila and Miriam, who are here with me today um most of all i want to thank you for listening they'll be back next week in the press gallery